let me uh, start this way about Moab in chapter 15, oracle concerning Moab. I just want to read a little bit of material here. The biblical background for the beginning of the tribe of Moab or the people of Moab is found in Genesis 19 with the story of Sodom and Gomorrah and the birth of two sons. One was Moab and the other was Ben-Ami. So those then become the progenitors of the nation of Moab and the nation of the Ammonites from, from those two. Uh, you might say they were brother territories. Moab lies to the east of the Dead Sea between the rivers Arnon and Zerid, which both drain into the Dead Sea. And I'm going to pass around a map here so you can see where Moab is. Before I pass around this map, let me say that my uh, idea of biblical geography uh, has been woefully inadequate. Uh, so when they, the Bible says, who is this coming from Bozra and all that, and, uh, and thinking about Petra, that city we've been talking about with the Nabataeans and all that stuff, I just think that everything is east of Jerusalem, you know. <laughs> That's basically what I thought. However, I didn't spend enough time with the maps because I was way wrong. Uh, Moab is on the east side of the Dead Sea, as you'll see here on the map. Uh, Bozrah, which is prophesied against Edom. So Edom is down south of Moab. East is south. It's south or southeast. Petra, that we've talked about a lot, I thought Petra was just way out on there in the desert out east of Jerusalem. Man, it is due south of Jerusalem, way down south. Uh, it's not on this map here. So I'm just telling you, my understanding was uh, corrected about some of these things. So anyway, here's my map, and it'll show you, uh, this is during the time of Israel and Judah, it shows you Moab and Ammon, uh, although the Ammonites may be closer, actually, they come on down become closer there later on. As Craig said last time, the geographical borders of some of these nations and, and tribes and so forth are somewhat fluid. I mean, they, they tend to move around a little bit. But anyway, you can see where some of that stuff is. Uh, so Moab lies to the east of the Dead Sea between the rivers Arnon and Zerid, which both drain into the Dead Sea. So there's more rivers that drain into the Dead Sea beside the Jordan. I mean, there's others around that, but everything just drains into the Dead Sea. <clears throat> uh, well, how come the Dead Sea is dead? What makes it that way? No, no water flows out. It all comes out by evaporation. And it's so and, low. It, it's so low, uh-huh. And it makes that salt sea because it just evaporates out. <clears throat> all right. Uh... There was a somewhat friendly relationship between Moab and Israel, somewhat, with easy immigration between these two peoples, as is evidenced by the story of Ruth, you remember, who was a Moabitess, and there was pretty easy movement, evidently, between these two nations. Uh, there is some tension over land ownership and so forth between Israel and Moab and, and from time to time. So, anyway. Uh, there is a difference in tone here in Isaiah in chapters 15 and 16 in the prophecies against than in the prophecies against, say, Babylon or Assyria. 
there's greater sympathy for the fate of Moab here. In other words, the prophet is mourning a little bit more over Moab and uh, he's sympathetic to their predicament more so than in Babylon, say. Um, This prophecy against Moab in chapters 15 and 16 probably refers to the defeat of Moab by Sargon II of Assyria in 715 B.C. I'm saying probably. Maybe scholars could debate that, but that's probably. So, uh, if uh, let's see here. Uh, Jim, if you would look up 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, and we'll read that in just a second. So let's start with verses 1 and 2. An oracle concerning Moab, because heir of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. Because care of Moab is laid waste in a night, Moab is undone. He has gone up to the temple and to Debon, to the high places, to weep over Nebo and over Mediba. Moab wails. On every head is baldness. Every beard is shorn. So this almost seems like a geography lesson at first here. These cities, Ar, however you pronounce it, and Ker, K-I-R, are chief cities in Moab. And maybe Ar shows up on the map there that's going around. I don't remember. Uh, they're big cities. Well, they are the cities in, in Moab. Debon, that city, is the location of a Moabite temple where they worship their god Chemosh, as listed in 1 Kings 11, 7 and 8, I think. Jim, 1 Kings 11, 7 through 8. Then did Solomon build a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, yeah. in the hill that is before Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the children of Ammon. And likewise did he for all his strange wives, which burned incense and sacrificed unto their gods. Okay. So Chemosh is the god of the Moabites, and Solomon makes the bad move of placating his many wives by allowing them to go ahead and do what they want to do with this god Chemosh. <laughs> this was Solomon's <laughs> big problem. Okay. Uh, Nebo is a mountain in Moab. I have at the north end of the Dead Sea. Mediba is another mountain somewhat south of Nebo. So uh, obviously their god Chemosh did not save them. So uh, therefore Moab wails and on every head is baldness and every beard is shorn. So after this military disaster, obviously Moab is wailing and uh, Chemosh didn't do them any good. Verse 3 Let's read verses 3 through 5. In the streets they wear sackcloth. On the housetops and in the squares everyone wails and melts in tears. Heshbon and Eliale cry out. Their voice is heard as far as Jahaz. Therefore the armed men of Moab cry aloud. His soul trembles. This is the prophet now. My heart cries out for Moab. Her fugitives flee to Zoar to Eglath Shelishia for the at the ascent of Luheath they go up weeping on the road to Horonaim they raise a cry of destruction okay down in verse 5 then Zoar that town 
is located in Edom. You see on the map where Edom's located, and they may show Zoar there. Uh, but it belongs to Edom, not Moab. So um, evidently, uh, the prophet has now moved for Moab and probably for the long lines of refugees from Moab that are going over to another territory, Edom, to try to find refuge to this town of Zoar. Um, so they're going to Edom as refugees. If we say that the 20th century was the century of refugees, and of course the 21st may actually top that, the, the, the tally is not in yet, uh, but refugees are a historical phenomenon that's been going on for a long time. I mean, it's territories, you know, whatever, attacked, defeated, homes are destroyed, people try to live somewhere, so they go someplace else, and on and on and on it goes. So these Moabites that survived are becoming refugees now. They're seeking uh, shelter someplace else, in this case in Edom. Uh, verse 6, the waters of Nimrim are a desolation. The grass is withered, the vegetation fails, the greenery is no more. Geography again. Nimrim is a wadi, a, a dry wash that fills up when it rains, right? Is a wadi on the southeastern side of the Dead Sea. Uh, so again, the people of Moab are refugees now. They're looking for water for their cattle but to no avail because this wadi is dried up. That's, that's it. All right. All right, verses 7 through 9, and hey, we're, we're done with chapter 15. Therefore the abundance they have gained and what they have laid up they carry away over the brook of the willows. I don't know where that is. For a cry has gone around the land of Moab. Her wailing reaches to Eglaim. Her wailing reaches to Bear Elim. For the waters of Debon are full of blood, for I will bring upon Debon even more. A lion for those of Moab who escape for the remnant of the land of the land. So basically verses seven through nine, the abundance that uh, has been produced by the Moabites they have uh, has been carried away. And furthermore, if the Moabites escape, from the invaders, they may run into a lion. It's prophetic language. In other words, there's just bad things happening in Moab. It's disaster. Uh, so the, the prophet is sort of weeping for the people of Moab here. And that uh, leads us into chapter 16. I, this is, for me, it's kind of like a good bit of geography here, but... Uh, if anyone has uh, something to say or comment, would uh, be great. Connor. Yeah. So um, the the Moabites and the Israelites, their story is sort of intertwined throughout yeah. the history. All right. So their forefather was Lot. That's right. All right. So Lot fled down to, I guess it was Zoar. Zoar. Yes. After the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. And that's exactly what his descendants are now doing. So they're playing out the story of their forefather. How about it? Very good. From the destruction, right? So there's a couple things there. One, God is saying, this destruction is coming from me. Okay. Right? In the story of Lot, it was very very clearly God doing the destruction. Yes. Right? He's saying, now you're playing out this story 
You need to see this destruction that's coming as the work of my hands. Wow. I'm bringing this doom upon you. Not anybody else. This is God doing this. Wow, very um, good. So that's one thing. Secondly, um, I, want, I think Ruth was a Moabite. She was. She, she was. She was. Yes. So we're talking about Christ's lion here. We are. Yeah. <laughs> we are. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Moab is... Uh, Involved in the genealogy of Christ. Yes, yeah. it's true. Yeah. Of course, of course, Ruth, you know, goes way, way back mm-hmm. before David. Mm-hmm. Yeah, three generations, maybe two or three. Yes. yes. I wonder if that's uh, regarding Ruth, and obviously I know this is long after Ruth, but there at the end of verse nine and right in verse one of, of chapter sixteen, of a lion for those of Moab to escape with a remnant of the land, send the lamb to the ruler of the land. I don't know if there's. Some prophetic symbolism going on here. Well, I'm going to call this a messianic interlude. (laughs) I think you're on to something. No, 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 you didn't. You didn't. You let into it. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, So let's call it a messianic interlude now in verses 1 through 5 is what I have, where they're, you know, it's, again, it's typical Isaiah, you know, destruction, destruction. Messianic interlude, destruction, Messianic interlude, and so forth in the book of Isaiah. So in in chapter 16, verse 1, let's read verses 1 through 5. Send the lamb to the ruler of the land from Selah by way of the desert to the mount of the daughters, the daughter of Zion. Like fleeing birds, like a scattered nest, so are the daughters of Moab at the fords of the Arnon. Give counsel, grant justice, make your shade like night at the height of noon. Shelter the outcast. Do not reveal the fugitive. Let the outcast of Moab sojourn among you. Be a shelter to them from the destroyer when the oppressor is no more and destruction has ceased. And he who tramples underfoot has vanished from the land. Then a throne will be established in steadfast love and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. So, some of these are obvious. Messianic interlude. Uh, in verse 1, Selah is a place in Edom. So, perhaps having escaped to Edom, they are sending, uh, they are sending for help, uh, maybe to Mount Zion. As it, as it mentions to the Mount of the Daughter of Zion. Christologically, if we want to view this as a messianic interlude, only the Lamb can make peace between us and Mount Zion. Uh, so here's Moab, let's say, not the people of God in that, in that sense, uh, suing, as it were, for peace. Uh, and only the Lamb can make that peace between those that live in Mount Zion and the rest of us pagans, all right? Mm-hmm. So we look to the Lamb. Verse, uh, verses 3 and 4, uh, the counsel from God then through prophet Isaiah is to shelter Moab, is to provide a home for these refugees so your land will become a shade for them. Again, as we've mentioned, there was a, a relationship between Israel and Moab Uh, Also a genealogical relationship in the line of Christ with Ruth, uh, you know, who married Boaz. 
they had a son called Obed. Obed had a son called Jesse, and Jesse had a son named David. Yes. So there, the genealogy goes, you know. Um, all right. Verse 5. Therefore, then a throne will be established in steadfast love, and on it will sit in faithfulness in the tent of David, one who judges and seeks justice and is swift to do righteousness. Well, even my commentator said this is obviously messianic. <laughs> uh, some of the moderns uh, don't like to see Jesus too much in the Old Testament, you know. But uh, even my commentator couldn't get away from it here. <laughs> so this is obviously messianic. And uh, so both Israel and Moab now are awaiting one who will rule in justice and steadfast love and faithfulness. And that one's throne will be in the house of David. All right? So there's another Davidic prophecy there. It's one from the line of David that eventually rule. All right? I'll stop here. Does any, anybody have anything? Uh, uh, well, I think in verse 3 you can make a connection to um, the parable in Luke about the God being the giant tree in which the birds make their nests in the branches. Okay. Um, you can see, I mean, the church, you know, I mean, the, the, the tree, mm-hmm. like the church, um, and birds being unclean animals, being like Gentiles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Taking, taking shelter. Uh, so. That's an interpretation. Yeah, well, so spiritually speaking, the Gentiles come in and find shelter uh, in the Messiah. Hide in the shadows, hide the outcasts, do not betray him who escapes. Connor? Um, One thing that I've been sort of pointing out throughout this study so far is that we should think of this as a retelling of the Exodus. This is sort of the is the Exodus story told okay. over again. All right. Um, one thing that stands out to me in this chapter is uh, in verse 4, it says, uh, be a shelter to them from the destroyer. That is that is straight from the Exodus story. The destroyer is, we typically today call this the angel of death. Mm-hmm. That was the, the okay. killing of the firstborn. Yes. And it was called, God called it the destroyer. Very good. Um, and Jeremiah, I think, I want to say Jeremiah 6 also talks about this, that, that um, this sort of, the, the, this, the moving in of the hordes of Assyria is, is, that's the destroyer playing out. It's the same thing as yes. the story. All right, very good. Yeah. Thank you. All right, who else? Okay, let's go on then to verse uh, 6. Now, after the Messianic interlude, we return to some current problems. Verse 6. We have heard of the pride of Moab, how proud he is, of his arrogance, his pride, and his insolence. In his idle boasting, he is not right. Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. (laughs) Let everyone wail. Mourn. Utterly stricken for the raisin cakes of King Harishef. So, the problem with Moab, as the problem now identifies it, really is pride. This is the problem. 
And this is the reason for God's chastening hand against Moab. Sometimes for some of us that God is bringing into faith, he may do some chastening because uh, of a pride problem. So this is a human condition. So anyway, it's just being illustrated here with Moab, you know. Uh, Therefore, let Moab wail for Moab. Well, we could wail for ourselves. Lord, I don't like this pride problem. Uh, now how shall I pray? Can you do something about it? Oh, oh yeah, he, he could do something. I don't know if I want to pray that or not. He could do something about it, that's for sure. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah. What were they so proud of? What was the... I, I really don't know, Chris, what their whole, you know... Pride deal was uh, maybe uh, I don't know maybe the riches they had accumulated yeah. or some uh, kind of thing like that. What are we so proud of? That's a good. That's a good question. <laughs> that's a good question. What's America so proud of? Good question. Yeah. Good question, David. We deceive ourselves. So Moab is living in a realm of deception. Uh, just like the human race lives in a realm of deception. Yeah. So, if I was a preacher, maybe we uh, we could preach on that. <laughs> I'm not a preacher, so I don't know. All right. Any, let's go on then. Uh, verse. Uh, well. Yeah, verse verse 8 then probably refers to exports of raisin and wine from Moab to Judah. There seems like there may have been a big trade in that. So verse 8 then says, For the fields of Heshbon language and the vine of Sibma and the lords of the nations have struck down its branches, which reached to Jazer, and strayed to the desert, its shoots spread abroad and passed over the sea. So, uh, the you know, the vines uh, of Moab are wasted now. I mean, there's been a, you know, it's just a destruction here that's going on through Moab. Verse nine. Therefore, I weep with the weeping of Jazer for the vine of Sibma. I drench you with my tears, O Heshbon and Eliale. For over your summer fruit and your harvest the shout has ceased and joy and gladness are taken away from the fruitful field. And in the vineyards no songs are sung, no cheers are raised, no treader treads out the wine in presses. I have put an end to shouting, therefore my inner parts moan like a lyre for Moab and my inmost self for Kir Harisheth. And so I'm sure this was a source of their wealth too. I mean the wine trade raisin cake trade and all of this. Maybe they were well known for the wine. Mm-hmm. Very very much it could be that way. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, okay. So um, verse 12 And when Moab presents himself, when he wearies himself on the high place, when he comes to his sanctuary to pray, he will not prevail. Well, it's obvious now. I mean, how could Moab prevail? When they're praying to a false god, no, Chemosh is not going to save them. Mm-hmm. Thirteen. 
Now we have a more exact prophecy from Isaiah. This is the word that the Lord spoke concerning Moab in the past. Hmm. So Isaiah already had this word. But now the Lord has spoken, saying, In three years, like the years of a hired worker, the glory of Moab will be brought in contempt. In spite of all his great multitude, and those who remain will be very few and feeble. So now Isaiah sort of puts a date on the destruction here. Three years and counting. Sargon will come down. Friends, that's all I have on these two chapters, but you can, you can help us here. Is that prophecy in that was from the past, is that in Scripture, or is that... Uh, I think... It says this was uh, given before. I think that, maybe it must be in the mind of Isaiah, but yeah. in terms of otherwise, I don't know. I can, yeah. I, I, I'm not willing to say no, but maybe yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not. Well, verse 11 seems to be out of place, um, not knowing what it means for his heart to resound like a harp. But, you know, it doesn't seem to be a message of destruction. Well, this is Isaiah's Isaiah's emotional response here. This is Isaiah. This is Isaiah. In other words, he's given the the word of God, but he... But he, do, I mean, he doesn't like it. It would be God's response too. Well, yeah. Well, well, that, yes. No. I mean, it destruction is coming. I'm sorry about it. You know. Well, it, we can. The heart of God can be broken. Yes. Uh, although these things are determined, uh, nobody's happy about well, it. I, yeah. So I'm. I'm only. My only thought about it is suggesting is that maybe this was the past. Uh, Prophecy. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because this this just seems a little bit merciful. <laughs> well, me. as as I mentioned, the, uh, the prophecy against Moab is somewhat more merciful than some of these yeah, other prophecies. But now the Lord has spoken, saying within three years. It's well, it's going to happen. Now. I mean, yes, the prophecy is we, sure. We have no archaeological discoveries that sort of deal with Moab, Moab and its rise and fall, or. I couldn't say, but if you want to deal with biblical archaeology, there's a mountain of stuff out there. <laughs> there's a lot of stuff you can read through. Are there any people who currently consider themselves Moabites? This is a good question. I don't want no answer. Who owns that land now? Is that part of Arabia? I would say Jordan, but I, again, we have to look at a modern map. I mean, I, I, I was. I would say Jordan. I mean, my my geography's been wrong about some of this stuff. I understand. <laughs> Things change very, very rapidly. Well, Moab yeah. does have a history of getting words from God. Who's this now? Moab. They do have a history of getting prophecies. I mean, the 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 prophecy about the star shall come out of Jacob. That was a that was given to the Moabites. Really. That was the king of the king, Balak, king, yes, the king of the yes. Moabites. He told right. Balaam to prophesy, and he okay. didn't get what he wanted. He got the wrong, he got a yeah, prophecy. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that was, that was a prophecy for the Moabites. Wow. So, uh, yeah, so God's mercy to the Moabites. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very good. Well, as part, as part of part of the tree of Christ, of the lineage of Christ, I would see where God would. Look with favor on them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. 
Well, anyway, uh, well, I, I, I don't know what kind of application we can make about this, but... Uh, that prophecy that, that Connor's talking about goes back to the time of Moses, so it's, it's, it's well before Ruth. Which prophecy? Oh, Balaam? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Well, Google says that Moab, the Moab land is now known as the country of Jordan. There it is. So the modern-day Jordanians share no similarities to the Moabites, as the majority of the people living in Jordan are Muslim. So? <laughs> the Jordan airs backed up. Uh, <laughs> of course the Jordan airs came out of there. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, okay, well, that, friends, like I said, that's the short lesson today, but uh, thanks for your attention, so we will stop here. Oh,